Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lonigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today on the Grill, a bloke on a mission. A mission to unite into a cohesive, clearly identifiable force, the beef producers of Australia. I suspect the key word there is unite. Let's welcome on the Grill, the inaugural chairman of Cattle Australia, David Foot. David, welcome. Morning, Kerry. Great to be here. Is that a fair assessment that, uh, to start with, David, to unite the 20 or so thousand specialist beef producers in Australia? It's not an industry known for its unity, is it? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure many industries are known for the uni- unity, Kerry, but I, I think in terms of the grass-fed beef production, it's so wide, so scattered. There's potentially the disparity between state matters versus federal matters. And the opportunity, to, I think, to have a pointy end for what is Australia's largest agricultural industry is actually paramount. So what was wrong with Cattle Council that it uh, had to be shut down? People actually need to reflect that Cattle Council voted itself out of existence. So this was, wasn't a movement from the outside saying, not good enough, not good enough. They actually, in their vision statement going forward, worked out it needed a better model, worked out it wanted a single commodity model, there's not many organisations vote themselves out of existence, so it should be recognised of that process. So what's going to be a major difference between Cattle Council and Cattle Australia that beef producers will really notice? Single commodity focus for a start. So as being part of Cattle Council, it was made up of state farming organisation representatives, which by default are not single commodity organisation. So this hopefully will be, well not hopefully, it will be a single commodity focused organisation. So I'll get to the important issue of funding very shortly, but can we just clear up who are the actual constituents for Cattle Australia? Well, as you said, there are 19,500 specialist beef producers across Australia, so everybody is entitled to be a member of so, Cattle Australia. So everybody, big and small, from AACO down to my old mate up on the downs who runs about 30 or 40 hand. Absolutely. Let's go to the structure and funding. Funding first, that's inevitably the biggest question. How will Cattle Australia be funded? It's actually quite ironical you ask that, Kerry, because it has been the most asked question by anybody that approaches me in the street on the phone or by email. But I'm wondering is why is that the biggest issue for them? Well, I can tell you why, because uh, Cattle Council is never properly funded and always had difficulty with it. I can't comment on that because I was never on the Cattle Council, but having taken over the books of the organisation, we're certainly not shy of funding to achieve what we need to achieve in terms of advocacy and promoting our industry over the next couple of years. Yep, we're going to want more to be bigger and more energetic and more powerful. We'll need more, but we're certainly not sitting in the doldrums at the moment through lack of funding. So no levies? You wouldn't dare mention the word levy, would you? Oh, as a levy payer, it's very hard to mention the word levy, but at the moment, that's the, that's the last place to go. I mean, we've we got, we got to offer a wanky word, but a value proposition where people wish to become members. But there are many ways to fund an organisation. You can do it through membership, you can do it through sponsorship, and you can do it through program delivery. We would be hoping that our program delivery, be it through training across across the bush, be it through awareness programs across the bush, that we will actually encourage, as are some other organisations do, their membership fee base is actually less than 25% of their total income. And that will be one of our targets. So you'll be incentivising producers to join because 
if you show the results, people will be almost obliged to join. Well, we would hope to get to that position. I'm not sure obliged will be the best word, but they'll want to join because they're actually thinking we're worth funding because we're working in their best interests. And how much will the various producers pay? Say, my old mate on the downs with 40 head, what would he pay? I think there, there's a well-defined table at the moment, and I haven't got it in front of me, Perry, but he's probably going to be up for 100 bucks. And the company you mentioned first, like AA, with 400,000 cattle, he's probably going to be up for about $5,000 under the current model. So but that's, that's not set in concrete yet. So that's voluntary, isn't it? It's it's a voluntary membership base, yes. Yes. Have, no. you, have you had a chat to the big fellas? No. No, you haven't? No, I mean, we're recognising we're not quite 10 weeks old yet, um, and we had a bit of a Christmas and New Year break in between. We've got to get ourselves organised. First, of course, I mean, it was, a, it was an awkward start. First board meeting was the second last day for the CEO in his role. It was the second last day for the company secretary. And so we had a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a headwind straight up. And, of course, we had a court case, court hearing at 10 o'clock the next morning. So we had a bit more focus on where we were out there yeah. chase, chasing a value proposition. So we're going to get our house in order first. And the biggest priority is to get a CEO that's worthy of our organisation. And is uh, someone being tapped on the shoulder or are they, is there, there a due process? There's a due process underway at the moment. Applications closed only last Friday. We've been astounded uh, by the, the breadth and the quality of the applicants to date. So we're sure, we're sure whatever the right, whoever the person has picked, it'll be the right person for this role. So, and the board, of course, that's another issue. I'll give you a free kick on this one. Uh, do you want to mention the structure of the board or the number on the board and how it will be fulfilled? Well, the board was filled, actually, by a democratic vote across the nation. Yes, I saw um, that. I know, but you do have vacancies, don't you? Another couple of members. The constitution allows the board to appoint specialists, effectively independent directors. What we're doing first, recognising now that this was a skill set elected board in the first place, we actually want to do the skills matrix map of the existing board to work out what we haven't got, rather than get more of the same, find somebody to fill the gap that we may think we have a new specialist skill. And so that's not a priority, but it's there It's there for the... So for there'll the be taking. a couple of people invited onto the board? Yes. Okay. Have you got your eye on a few? Somewhere? No, yep, yep. not until I get a CEO. Right. And, and you say the CEO is hopefully very, very soon. Yes. So what's it going to be the structure of the board? I assume that you'll need a secretariat somewhere? Or no? Well, the existing, the existing employee base that were working for Cattle Australia are still in place. So we have policy offices uh, in Canberra, we have communications offices. So work is continuing behind the scenes. Right. The, the producers are still no less represented than they were before the organisation changed to Cattle Australia. So have you got a budget for Cattle Australia? We have a budget. We're still working on last year's budget. And as we had a board meeting on Tuesday of this week, and um, so everything's good. We're actually below budget, Kerry. So we've done we've done we've done well to date in ten weeks. Is that, that a publicly identifiable figure? What the total budget might be for Cattle Australia? I suspect not, because it's actually it's, it's a com- it's a company, okay. a limited company. Now tell me about uh, setting up this company, and what, what's your mission statement for Cattle Australia? The, the easy thing and the overarching goal is, is to be recognised as the voice for the grass-fed cattle producers of Australia and at national level. Is, does that mean you're the peak body for, to be the peak lobby group body for beef producers? Absolutely. Okay. And do you work hand in glove with other sectors of the, of the uh, Very business? much. We, yeah. we sit down, in fact, we meet 
frequently with those other peak industry councils that sit under AMAC, mm-hmm. which, which ultimately is the representative body through to government from all the peak industry councils. So you'll be talking with processors and lock feeders, etc., etc., etc. Very much so. Processors are only there to help out struggling producers, of course. They always have that, don't they? Well, having a processor hat on uh, tilt at the moment, I think the balance of power may be the other way at the moment. Cattle Council had some excellent uh, people on the board over the years, but in terms of presence and impact, it became virtually invisible, do you agree, especially over the last two or three years? The last two years, I think it was struggling through with this change and, and, and and managing this vision of how do we get out of where we are because the process was nearly two years in place and there was lots of gunfights on the way through. It's very hard for people to want to let go, generally let go to get a better grip next time. This was to, to, to let go in total. So, yes, it lost its way, I suppose, at being recognised as the spearhead of the grass-fed organisation. Yes, so uh, so who will, who will take the reins when issues emerge? Will it be you or will it be the CEO? It'll have to be. It'll be a joint ticket. Um, Australia's a big place, as, as we're saying. Nineteen thousand specialist beef producers, but forty-three thousand farmers in total. We we need to be able to cover across almost every every dog and pony show for the couple of yeah. years okay. to get our brand out there to find out what our people's priorities are to try and address them on a national level. How closely will you work with uh, other parts of the, of the sector, the the uh, processes in particular? Well, I wouldn't pick out the process. I mean, we've got, we've got the feed, feedlotters, we've got the live exporters, and we've got the processors. All four of us actually make up what is the beef industry in Australia as we recognise it. And I guess we've got board members who've been in feedlots. We've got board members, myself, who've been in feedlots, meat processing and cattle. Yeah. So I believe there, we are not putting up any barriers between sitting down and working as an industry as a whole. Sometimes confusion between the role of uh, MLA and other parts of the beef industry, isn't there? You agree hugely, yeah. hugely, hugely. So how are you going to distinguish your role from MLA? Okay, the easy, the easy way to do that is to... MLA actually undertook or fell into its role, I think, because the producers were voiceless. There was a void. Somebody had to speak on behalf of the producers. That was highlighted, I guess, through the live export debacle but there had to be a spokesman. And now that has carried on and people are therefore almost expecting that it's an MLA thing. They're expecting because MLA receives the levy money or they have the right to collect the money. But what people don't understand is part of what's called the statutory funding agreement between the Commonwealth and the MLA is it does not allow one cent to be spent on advocacy or lobbying. That's fair enough too, if you think through it. But uh, yeah, yes, the yeah. government doesn't want to fund the lobby group against it. Yeah, but do you used to, used to get money? Well, cattle council used to get money from MLA. Well, all peak councils actually have service agreements with MLA where they have to deliver programs. It's just an odd master servant relationship. Definitely no master servant relationship oh. in there. So there's it's no. About, we, the 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 council has to submit a program for what it wants to deliver, whether that's sheep, whether it's goats, whether that's cattle out to its membership base. It is measured against it. There are KPIs, there are milestones to be achieved, and it's a budget. It's certainly not a profit-making process. It's a cost recovery process for, for you delivering a program. Recognise, of course, MLA is only so big, yeah. but ideally we've got council members or operatives that cover the state. They can't cover the country. Time for a break from uh, On The Grill. Back in a moment after this quick message from our sponsor. 
This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're on the grill uh, with Beef Central. Our guest today, inaugural chair of Cattle Australia, David Foote. Now, look, David, you're just back from uh, addressing a big meeting of America's beef producers in New Orleans. Um, learn anything new in America? Yeah, I learnt, I learnt that, the, that the temperature scale can go to over minus 108 degrees Fahrenheit. That was where? In, that was actually in Washington State, in wow. North Colorado. Wow. So the day, the day I arrived, there were 40 million Americans caught behind blizzards. There were effectively no planes moving. It decimated the convention crowd to 7,400, down to, down to the uh, predicted 9,000 um, at, attendees. Wow. So I guess, so the scale, if there's a learning, Kerry, I probably should have watched all episodes of Yellowstone before I arrived. Um, <laughs> I thought up until halfway through the convention, I was the only person that hadn't watched an episode. Yeah. But it was really exciting because I actually met the guy that runs the Four Sixes Ranch that Yellowstone is based on the shot wow. around, yeah. a chap by the name of Joe Leathers. And Joe hasn't watched the program either, so we were buddies from that point forward. <laughs> right. But it is very much driven by that, by that, I guess, that mentality, that process. And just as a light moment as a side, I asked the doorman at the Hilton Hotel, which I was staying down the road from, has he had, ever had so many pickups? Utes in the car park before, and he said, "No, nah, also many guns in the rooms." <laughs> That's what he said. So, it's but yes, yeah, how do American producers fund their lobby group through a levy? Yeah, and but that's not right. So the, the U.S. levy, so it's called the checkoff. So the checkoff is a transaction levy for a dollar. But of that dollar, that actually goes back to state councils. So a dollar per head a dollar per, per sale? per transaction. Wow. Per transaction, whereas we... Who, who we, pays? We, the buyer or the seller? The buyer, the seller. Mm-hmm. It's a transaction. Yep. It's a transaction. But of that, of that dollar, fit, again, none of it's allowed to go into lobbying or advocacy, even in the US. Yeah. So the NCBA actually has a political active group, it then has these national state councils that receive actually the funding. So the, the Texas Beef Council, which I went to visit um, away, away from the Congress, which receives the, for the benefit of the Texas, that's where it receives. And it effectively is, a, is like the MLA. It does the, R&D, it does the R&D, it does the marketing, the cooking shows, the promotion. Right. The so that's a state-based more than as a national-based. Yes. Like we have. Yeah. yes. So how much money do they collect a year? Well, the Texas Beef Council were happy to admit to me they receive $20 million a year funding for, 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 for Texas. How many head of cattle they got in Texas? No, no, actually. I didn't do the research on that. But they are... You'd be surprising how small the cattle producers. So the state of Georgia, 92% of their producers have less than 100 head of cattle yeah. in the state of Georgia. Now... There are, the US is broken up into, I think, seven regions. There's a heavy cattle region, which is the Dakotas and Kansas and Nebraska. 
in one and, and, and Texas is the other. Say they turn, I'm just guessing here, say they sell 20 million cattle a year, 20 million, doesn't seem a lot of money, does no, it? it's not. No, their total income base for that industry will be lower uh, than what the Australian industry is. Oh, that's extraordinary. So, but they're a pretty powerful lobby group. Pretty powerful, heavens. You just see the results of every farm bill every two or three years. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because... But just go back to if we're going to talk about... The NCBA was 125 years old this year. So they've got a bit of a track record. Equally importantly, they actually have a National Cattle Women's Association and it was 70 years old this year as well. So there's a lot of depth in there. They've been, they've been around a long time. They have a significant process... Um, sitting in, in in Washington, which is where they run their ag council and their and their trade policy from, so the farm bill for the uninitiated, which was me at the time, was all thinking, this is all freebies, this is all giveaways, this is just absolutely supporting inefficient uh, production, or, so, or lack of production because they do get paid not to or, grow, or lack of production. Yes. That's more crops than yeah. yeah. But and so, but. And sitting there listening to the lady presenting on what they're asked before Congress this year, she said, well, this year we're actually going from billions, because it's $864 billion, uh, this farm bill, to our next budget is $1.4 trillion. Now, that's quite a lot of money when you start talking farm bill. But then when you break it down and you look at it up there, 83% of that farm bill is food aid for the poor. It has nothing to do with farmers. Food stamps. Wow. Food stamps. But when you think about it, how clever of it is for the ag sector to tie itself to a food aid program, yeah. like the tail on the dog, because yeah. potentially if they put themselves up to try and get half a billion from Congress, particularly which is maybe in the colour it is at the moment through the Democrats or other pub, they probably would snowflake chance in hell. But the fact is they're in there arguing for $800 million of food stamps. Well, and by yeah, the way, when when you approve that, we do get five hundred come through yeah. for, for other for other programs. So that's like free milk for school children, isn't it? Really, oh, it was more more than free milk for <laughs> On school a children. Larger scale, yes. yes. Yeah. So, David, uh, let's get to a picture of uh, Cattle Council later this year. You're settled down, up and running, funded, at least for the moment. What's the first aim for Cattle Australia? Increase our membership. So set ourselves a target, uh, not wishing to be branding, but set ourselves a target of we'd like to be equivalent, say, members to the NRMA, for example. Or ideally, if we could come up to somewhere like the, the Australian Camp Draft Association, you know, with 32,000 paid members. Time for a break from uh, On The Grill. Back in a moment after this quick message from our sponsor. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion on how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. You're on The Grill uh, with Central. Our guest today, Inaugural Chair of Cattle Australia, David Foote. 
Look, a question out of left field, David, it was the, the live exporters, and you represent those as well, I guess, do you? No, they're actually Live Corp. It's okay, within, Live uh, Corp. Under okay. Obviously, our members are in there, and that's yeah. the market stream they choose. Yeah. So their on-farm production model is very much in but our focus. You, you'll be interested, wouldn't you? Oh, we're more than interested. Okay, that big cattle case after the Ludwig decision 11 years ago, is, do you know it's still before Federal Cabinet? It's bizarre. I didn't know it was before Federal Cabinet, but I believe as a reason it hadn't been paid out. Yeah. So whether that's because Cabinet hasn't approved, which, which I struggle to understand why a court ruling, decision by a High Court judge, means actually still has another level of approval required. Yes, well, you cross boundaries here. The, you are, this is impacting on producers, your constituents. Uh, would you go and lobby on behalf of them or join forces with... Another lot, the, the live corp, as you say? Oh, well, well, there will be no reason for us not to. Yeah. wish to, if we were asked, to try and help assist that process or understand why the process is held up. David, uh, the issue of fake meat continues to bubble. Uh, what's going to be your attitude and how can you impact on the, on the ability or the, the liking of major retailers to put fake meat alongside real meat? Cattle Australia, or through, following on from Cattle Count Australia, have always had a strong policy on the labelling of alternate proteins that you describe as fake meat. It's not, a, it's not a secret that there's nobody in the red meat industry is comfortable with the product being, being called meat. Where it's placed in the meat counter is not something that's, that's in our jurisdiction. And if you cast your mind back for 10 years, 15 years ago, there were alternate protein products sold in meat counties and butcher shops everywhere for, for the start. So, so it's, not, it's not new. But it actually comes down to choice. And I think we've all seen those photographs back when COVID first hit of the only product left in the supermarket meat case shelf was the alternate protein. And I think that was, the people, that was the people voting or the consumers voting. So it's... I don't, I'm not as strong a believer that, that it is deceptive and people are buying it by mistake. So it's a, one for the alternatives, I suppose. And would it, is there a view that it will always maintain about 3% of the market? Is that what it's got or that's what it's getting? I actually can't comment on percentage, but I know it's not growing and publicly we hear that the bigger end of town that first started in the US are struggling. Um, their share prices are falling. There's no growth the growth in plant proteins is really happening through the milk side, the other product side, more, more than the meat side. But if you think of the modern family now, when mum or dad goes shopping, there might be three in the family are going to want the snags and there'll be one in the family that doesn't, doesn't want the meat product. So it just means they actually can all have the family meal out of the one cabinet. Yeah, that's enough for fake meat. I hate giving them oxygen. Let's move on. If you meet with the Fed Ag Minister uh, tomorrow, what's the... One thing that you would like to get through to him to think more about? How can we help him maintain the budget for biosecurity measures to keep these emerging animal diseases to the north out of our organisation, yes, our they business? They appear to have dropped off the radar in recent months, don't they? I mean, we don't talk about it, but did you hear about them in, in the States? Very much so, Kerry. In fact, there are three other presenters who on their slide packs actually had... Pictures representing the map of Australia and Indonesia. So right. they are well aware of our situation. But that's principally because the US is fearful of foot and mouth disease coming into their herds from Mexico and the 
potentially the whole theme of the conference was it's no longer a matter of if, it's actually when. And they do not have the systems in place in terms of traceability, pick numbers for properties to manage if the one animal gets in. It'll be scattered across through their states, basically coming in via Texas, and then it'll be scattered. And they will really struggle to actually lock down whereas we have a much better defined process. Look, over the years I've spoken to Americans, especially at Rockhampton, and they're very envious of our traceability scheme here, aren't they? Yeah, it is. Um, but even through NCBA, they're so envious of us, they all want traceability, but no, we're not going to mandate it. <laughs> and they're not going to pay for it either. Getting back to, uh, you're, you're in the chair, uh, what do you hope to achieve after 12 months? What's a standard, a, a mark on the wall where you say, we've done it, we're there? When the federal government has any issue or information requires of the grass-fed beef industry is that they ring the Cattle Australia phone number. David Foote, inaugural chairman of Cattle Australia, a man on a mission. Thanks for being on the grill with Beef Central. Pleasure, Kerry. Thanks for your interest. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.